And good morning still. Good morning. Amen. Well, I'm excited to be here. This place is lovely. You all get to come here every That sounds like spoiled. <laughs> Little bit. Just admitted it, right? Well, I am excited to be here. They have asked me to talk to you a little bit um, through the book of, this is going to be an exciting flyover because we really want to take a deep dive look into chapters four, chapter five, and chapter six, right? Don't have enough time. So we're going to a few good things out of there. But before we, um, tell me this, what do you, the book, not say. But what do you know about First Timothy? Paul's writing to Timothy, exactly. What else? There's all the duties of the elders. Yes, there are some of that in there about the elders and the deacons, and there's some stuff in there about women. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. What else? What else do you know? Many, many false teachers, which was the problem. Okay. So he's having Timothy address this problem. What else? Anything else you know about First Timothy? Timothy is young. He's young, right? And so he's taking on this leadership role. So Paul is like his mentor, his guide, his spiritual father. And Timothy now has to go into this place and at this church, all these many different things as a young man. How many of you got married to a young man? Yeah, 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 young man, yeah. Mine, mo- mine was once young. <laughs> He's still young, middle of the road young kind of thing. We're both middle aged, right? Yeah, but do you remember, how many of you are married? Do you remember the beginning days? Like, listen, we, I can say it because I don't know them. They didn't know how to lead, <laughs> right? And we didn't know how to follow, right? So you got these young people trying to figure it out. Can you imagine, Timothy, the weight of that, having to go into that congregation and establish? Last thing, one more thing that you know about. Say again. Yes. So he's talking to them in Ephesus. Let's break. Now I want to start with kind of this quote. Ultimately, what we want to take away from our time together today is going to be one of the main ideas there. And there are many main ideas in First Timothy, but one of them is watch your lifestyle and your doctrine. Watch your lifestyle and your doctrine. Here's a quote. I found this quote from C.J. Mahaney. Have you ever read any of his books? He's a great writer. Here's what he says. He says, We watch over the souls entrusted to our care and yet neglect our own soul. We pay close, even diligent attention to the life and doctrine of our church members while ignoring the inner workings of our own heart. Ah, but one task is easier than the other, is it not? Don't you find it far more appealing and enjoyable to study doctrine than to study your heart? Isn't it much more pleasant to examine our books than to examine our motives. What do you think about that? I'm going to move this slightly. Okay. Okay. I just, I'm just trying to see y'all. <laughs> you know, I'm short. I have short folk problems. <laughs> Goes out. Okay. Yeah, I'll do that. 
What do you think about that? It's well to read a book, Holiness, than it is to examine my own heart about holiness. What do you think about that? Well, let me say it in a different way. It's easier for us to look at our neighbor and go, sure, you got problems. <laughs> Versus to look at our You're at time in and out. Is it me? So it's don't move. It's okay. No, no, no. It's okay. I'm, a, I'm a walker, so I'll just plant right here. Yeah, I'll try to be still. Try hard. <laughs> it's easier to go hear an amazing sermon and check the box that we went to church. We did that. We studied the Bible. Oh, have my quiet time, my devotion, put the kids down to sleep. Oh, I did that. Yes, but what was the, the Lord, his word when you did that? What was the thing that jumped off your heart when the Holy Spirit said, wrong? It's easier to read about it than to actually do something about it is what Mahaney is suggesting. Now, for context, let's just back up for Timothy. Paul first met Timothy when he visited Lystra on missionary journey, right? Timothy was this young man, but he was of a mixed, but not the kind you would think of. Let's just go ahead and do away with it. <laughs> Testing. Okay. So Timothy's from this mixed background, right? But it's not the mixed like you think. It's not, it's not, um, what were y'all telling me yesterday? It's not Taiwanese and Chinese, right? It's not black and white. It's not that kind of mixed situation. His mother was a believing Jew. Okay, this is probably even more problematic. And his father was a pagan Greek. You may have some people in your church that are married to unbelievers. That can be a rough journey. This is a mixed situation. Oh, but he had a praying grandmother. So his grandmother, Lois, she reared him in the Christian faith. Now, Paul circumcised Timothy. So they have this relationship. They have this father-son relationship. He is his spiritual father. So what? Certainly Timothy is willing to listen. In 1 Timothy, Paul has two purposes that he states for writing. First, he's directing Timothy to give vigorous personal opposition to what you said earlier, to the false doctrine that's developing in Ephesus. That is also our cause. In our churches, Sometimes people will walk in with different doctrinal beliefs than you, right? You've had new members come in believing different things, right? It's our responsibility to take what we've learned from the pulpit, from your pastor, and help them so that we don't have false doctrine running through our churches. Second, he instructed Timothy about the kind of behavior that should characterize Ephesian believers as members of God's household. This applies to us as well. There is a certain Christian character that we should exemplify for the world. And lastly, Paul gives Timothy some guidelines on major aspects of church life. He says, listen, here's some principles of Christian behavior in the public. Okay, ladies, don't act up in the public. All right. Don't don't get beside yourself. Don't act unbecomingly. And then he gives him characteristics for church leaders. Even we can lead women in the church, or maybe you're over the kids or something like that. You still must have holiness, right? And then he says key issues in caring for certain needy groups like the widows. But mostly, Paul's concentrating on maintain purity of doctrine and purity in your lifestyle. Now, are y'all the quiet kind? Oh, okay, good, because I was about to say, listen, I'm Black Baptist. I'm going to need you to say something. <laughs> Okay, say, say, say something. 
right? <laughs> when I say purity in lifestyle, what do you think of? Free from sexual sins. Free from sexual sins. That's a good one. What else? Purity in lifestyle. Exactly. Not um, conforming to the world's way. That's purity in lifestyle. What else? Modesty. Yes. Purity in the way we attire ourselves. We adorn ourselves before the world. What else? Yes, being above reproach, which is functioning and walking in integrity at all times. Now, integrity is defined as a, a set of beliefs or values that you vigorously uphold. Not wavering, not changing, depending on who you are with. It's these are the standard values that I live by. Ours come from the Bible. Yes. So living in integrity. Now, I need some readers today so we can get through Chapter four, five, and six. Someone who can read real loud for me. Chapter four, let's read verses one through 10. Any takers? See what happens? You get voluntold. Or so the chapter four. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart in the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence for foods that God created to receive the thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received at thanksgiving, or it is made holy by the word of God as prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant unto Christ Jesus, be trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrines that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourselves for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it most promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. So he's talking about watch your lifestyle. We could say watch your priorities. For Paul, everything, he's saying to us, everything that God created is good. Our bodies are a most wonderful gift. The problem is when we use them in ways that are ungodly. He says discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. So if I'm watching my lifestyle and my doctrine, I must be aware that my body is a good thing, but I can use it in ungodly ways. See, mankind takes God's good creation and corrupts it. We distort it. Yes, we have natural God-given desires such as eating and drinking, sex and intimacy, rest and sleep. But what we do when we're not watching our doctrine and our lifestyle, we distort this, corrupt this, take a good thing and make it a bad thing. We eat whatever we want to the point of gluttony. We drink whatever we want to the point of um, debauchery. We have sex wherever we want, whenever we want, whether or not we are married or not. Now, some may say, well, I'm not having sex as a single woman, but I'm developing these intimate relationships as if. 
as if I had a covenant with this young man. We take God's good gifts and distort them. Rest, sleep. Anybody like sleep? I can sleep through a storm. Sleep is a good thing, but what what do we do? We take a good thing and we turn it into a bad thing. We turn it into laziness. So we don't care for the things of the home. We don't care for our children. We don't care for our own bodies, the temple of God, because we are lazy. We've taken rest and sleep and distorted it. Paul is saying, listen, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Watch your lifestyle. Watch out for your priorities. Physical fitness is a good thing. Walked all the way over here like, whoa. Where's the cart? Where's the go cart? Physical fitness is a good thing, but there are many people that I know where I live. It is everything. It's not just a good thing. It's everything. They live to get up and go to the gym. They live to go run 800 miles. This is all they do. But there's discipline in the body life, but no discipline in their spiritual life. Physical fitness is good, but godliness is better. We need to watch our lifestyle and our doctrines. We need to look at our priorities and analyze the things that I'm making a priority. Has God made that a priority as well? Or have I elevated something that is just a good thing, but it's not the best thing that I could be doing in this moment? Now, someone read chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. 11 through 16. The man to teach these things, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, and faith, and purities. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given by given you by prophecy, when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things and rest yourself in them, so that I may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your ears. Now, the apostle reminds Timothy, who is a leader now, to be an example. Now, many of you may say, I'm not a leader. How many of you would say, I'm a leader? Wait, no hands went up. How many of you would say, I'm a leader? And she, it went slow though. Like even, it didn't even go all the way up. She was like questioning, am I? Well, I, I hate to break it to you, but you're all a leader. There are little children watching you from a distance that you don't even know are watching you. There are siblings that you have that may be watching you. There are your coworkers that are unbelievers that are watching you. There's family members that have bad marriages that are watching your marriage. You are a leader. You're a leader in the cause of Christ everywhere you go. You're a leader at the grocery store when the lady tries to give you something that you didn't pay for. You're a leader. You are an example of what godly standard looks like. You are a leader. How many of you are leaders? Still, some of them are looking at me like, yeah. There was a little girl many years ago when we first got married. And she was in the children's ministry and I didn't really know her. And one day she came up to me and she just hugged me and she just started talking to me. And then her parents said she always wanted to come and hug you, but she just never got up the boldness to do so. She was watching me from a distance. There are many people that you will have to be an example for that you don't even know that they're watching. 
Oftentimes we think there are things that we're doing in the dark, but many are watching us. God sees everything. You are to be the example, just like Timothy. Now, although he's telling him as a leader in the church, I'm saying to you, you're a leader everywhere you go. You're going to stand out. The light within you is going to stand out. It should stand out because you should look different than the world. Because why? We are no longer of the world. Right. We've been redeemed. We've been bought with a price. We've been delivered and set free. So our walk should be so different that people see you as an example to follow. That's a part of leadership. Right. So we are to be an example. Paul is telling Timothy, be an example to the believers in your speech, in your conduct, in love in faith and in purity. You, too, are to be an example. So we say, well, maybe I'm not. Uh, what did they used to say? I don't smoke. I don't chew and I don't run with those who do. Right. Maybe you're not there. Maybe God has brought you a mighty long way. Maybe you no longer are the person you used to be. But maybe you still have some ways about you. You're quick to anger. You're quick to speak. You're quick to not, to hold a grudge. You're quick to run to bitterness. Maybe you're quick to engage in strife. But that's in your speech and your conduct. So it may not be as outlandish as someone says something to you or does something and you cuss them out. Maybe that's not y'all. I know that's not y'all. Right. But what you might want to do is look at where are the places that I still am not representing Christ well. We all have places that we can continue to work on to be an example to other believers now, what's interesting is he's telling him, be an example to believers. We are to be an example to one and us, one another in the church house. I should be able to look to you and see, how do you love your friends? How do you show love? How do you render a blessing instead of a cursing? I should be encouraged. I should be able to look to you and say, how do you handle it with your husband when you're tired, but yet you still have to serve him? We are to be an example to one another on a regular basis. The only way we can do that is to watch our own life and doctrine. Keep his own life in good order is what Paul was telling Timothy. Live the truth before applying it to others. You know, we know a lot. Your pastor seems like he is gifted and talented and probably accurately just cuts that word every Sunday. Is that right? Every Sunday, Wednesday, Monday, Tuesday, it's it's good food. You're getting steak over here. But do you know? We know this much, but we live this much. Let me let me see. What did your pastor preach on six weeks ago? Mm-hmm. 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 All right. All right. What was somebody got it? What was it? Why? Is that because he's been there a while? Yeah. It's okay. I won't tell him. Okay, but what was his main point? It's pretty much Christ is the best. <laughs> Y'all are getting off easy. We have to live the truth before we can go and tell the truth. It's an amazing thing when, as Mahaney was saying earlier, that you read books, you study, you go to conferences such as this, and you have something really good that comes out of it, and you want to run out and tell somebody. Because you probably have someone on your mind right now talking about, mm-hmm, 
she needs to watch her lifestyle and her doctor, right? But what Paul is saying to Timothy, listen, you need to examine you first. You need to deal with you before you run out and try to tell someone else. Get the log out of your eye before you go and look for the speck in others' eyes. Now, while we're here, before we move on, let me say this. We have to be careful of our preferences. There's precepts and then there are preferences. Do you know the difference? What's a precept, a biblical precept? You got this. You know it. Think, think, think. A biblical precept. What is a biblical precept? Okay, you gave me an example of it, but where is it coming from? The word of God is our biblical precepts. God tells us, do this, don't do that. Now, he's not going to tell you how to fix the plumbing. He's not going to tell you how to fix a flat tire, but he tells you how to handle the people that come to your house to fix those things. Those are precepts. Now, what are preferences? How would you define that? Things that you think, uh, things that I want to go a certain way. My preference is how I want it to go. Let me give you an example. So my husband and I will be married at the Lord wills 26 years in December, December 20th, 26 years. Um, when we first got married, don't ask me where I got this from, y'all. Just I'm just saying I'm being transparent. Um, I believed that the toilet paper should come out like this from under. Like, who does that over thing? Like, what is that about? No. It's under. Like, do you really want to sit there like this with the toilet paper, right? So this is the thing for me. And I would go into the restroom. First of all, I'm an only child. He's an only child. Like, why are you still here? Like, literally. I mean, it was, it was about two weeks into the marriage, back from everything. Life's good. All your stuff's here. All my stuff's here. And I looked around one day and went, you mean you're never going back to your mom's house? Like, ever? Not to spend the night? No time? Yeah. So I had a real issue with this. And we had a counselor for the first year to just kind of keep tune-ups going and so on and so forth. And one day I said, I don't understand why this dude, why does he keep putting his toilet paper on the roll like this? Do you know he was oblivious? He didn't even know. He didn't even, it wasn't even a thought for him. It wasn't even a thing. I made it a thing because it was my thing. And what I had done was taken my personal preference and elevated it to the role of a precept and treated him as if he had sinned against me. We do this all the time. We do this in the church. What color should the carpet be? Pastor says green. You're like green. Blue. Blue is the new you, right? We do this all the time. If you look into your life, I bet you're going to find where you have some preferences. They may even be traditional preferences. They may be preferences that came from your grandmother, your, your whoever, but they are not preset. So when we're talking about keeping each other encouraged in truth, we need to be careful that I'm not encouraging you in my truth because my truth is not the way. I don't care what the world is trying to tell you. That's not my truth. Whatever. God's truth is the truth. Be careful of precepts as we try to hold each other accountable versus preferences. Now, overall application from chapter four, pay close attention. Don't ignore either your lifestyle or your doctrine. Don't ignore how you live versus what you know. Don't ignore not knowing the Bible. Study to show thyself approved a workman who need not be what? 
ashamed. You have to study, but you also must live. It's not good enough just to be hearers and not be doers of the word of God. And let's go to chapter five. Any questions? Now's a good time to stop. Okay, tell me, what are you thinking right now? I'll pick somebody if a hand doesn't go up real fast. See, she just looks down, so I can't get her. Well, what I was thinking that thought just the and it's about a word of the wind, depending on the Yeah. Yeah, how often there I just read the word ring in me. Oh, I did it again. Yeah. I concept. Yeah, I'll call me too. Yeah, she's saying, how often do we just read it? And that's like, oh, yeah, that's good truth. But then we don't go out and live it. Anybody else? What are you thinking based on what we said in chapter four? In the back, all the way in the back. Blue. How you talking about like references of my dice and like, am I choosing I references and her butter? Thank you, I appreciate it. Yeah, I But it's up on your balls. He's very senior, very good. And then... Yeah, she's saying be careful in how we operate in our marriages that we're not putting preferences on them and treating them as if it's a precept. I will say this. This is a big deal. We do a lot of marital counseling. You'll be amazed at the, the amount of fights that come, the discord, uh, giving the devil a foothold into your marriage that come over preferences. Someone says, and you've heard this before, I'm sure. If mama ain't happy, poor English, but if mama ain't happy, no one's happy. Have you heard this before? I said mama needs to repent. She does. And I tell this everywhere I go because you're ruling your house as if you're God. And, and can I back up and say you're ruling? You're a helper. He's the head. We are help, but it takes two to get this vision pulled off. We work together. We don't rule over the people in our house. I know there's a place for everything and everything has its place, right? Anybody live like that? But maybe that's not the place for it. And is that the biggest issue that we should be having when people are dying and going to hell every day? Real good, chapter five. Someone read for me verses one through 16, real loud. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing to the sight of God. She who is truly a widow left all alone, has set her hope on God, and continues in supplication and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good work. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, mm. has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. Hmm. 
So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that I may care for those who are truly widows. Mm. Now, what Paul does now, he turns his attention to the different groups in the church. You know, we have all these different groups that are in the church. How do you care for them? He's stressing basic kindness, right? Timothy is to be kind, treating members of the church as his own family. Does this only apply to church leaders? No, that's for us as well. We are to treat others with kindness. Older people are treated like parents. I've been in some places where um, the elderly are just left aside, not taken care of, not given an afterthought, not given a helping hand. We were traveling and we were in the airport and there was a little old lady. She was trying to get through the airport and everyone was just running past her and bumping into her and whatever. And I stopped and I said, can I please help you? Please. There was another gentleman the, the other day and he was in a wheelchair and the guy was trying to get him out of the wheelchair and they were looking for somewhere just to sit him down. And so I found a seat for them. Can we just operate with kindness from our heart? He says, don't be so disrespectful. Don't be so quick with your tongue. Don't be so quick to speak harshly to an older man. Don't rebuke an older man sharply. Be kind and gentle, even if you have to offer a rebuke. Treat younger ones as brothers and sisters. This will help you avoid all the things that happen inappropriately in your relationships in the church. Where are the singles? Yeah. Treat your brothers in the church as brothers so that you don't have the potential to fall into sexual sin. When we begin to treat men that are not our husbands as if they are, the path is already ruined. And what generally happens is those people who interact like that and then they end up having sex before marriage and then they get married and they have a lack of trust with one another. And guess where they end up? in our office for counseling. Because why? Think about this. So if a guy says he loves the Lord, he loves you, but he's willing to sin against God with you. So the same thing that he did with you, he's eventually going to do to you. Whoa. No? Yeah. He was willing to lie about where he was taking you or where he was going with you. Same thing he did with you, he will do to you because this is just his character. Do you understand? But it's not just his character. It's your character, too, because you're participating. Following me? Singles, ladies, what do you think? What does that cause you to think? Because they looked at me like, mm -mm. <laughs> would you think that's a true statement? Or a possibility? I think it shows like where the idol is. Yes. Yes. You know, a desire to have a relationship. Yeah. Compromise um, to get that. So she said, it shows the idols of our heart. And I like that you put it in this way because oftentimes we want to blame him. But it's not his fault. Right. It shows the idol of our heart. I want what I want when I want it. I'm going to do what I want to do in order to get it. That's a basic premise. 
of how that happens. And you don't have to be single for this to happen. How does a married woman commit adultery? Well, I wanted more time for my husband. I wanted more attention from my husband. I wanted more affection from my husband. I wanted him to treat me a particular way that he doesn't. I wanted him to be like this guy. Oh, there's this guy over here that does all these many things. So I want what I want. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get now. Never mind that I'm sinning against a holy God to get what I want. So I've turned from true God, a true and living God, to an idol God. And God says, you shall have no other gods before me. What are you thinking? Singles. I would move on if somebody just said something. <laughs> yes, ma'am. There's a message last night uh, when nothing they first. Yes. Are we need love or that's you know, when we're willing to talk also and see why? Yeah. And let me add this. Many of us come to um, our adult lives with brokenness. Maybe the home uh, that we grew up in was broken. Maybe bad things happened to us. Many of us were um, treated poorly or, or not loved or molested or whatever the case may be. We come to relationships, period, broken, right? And we tend to expect husbands to fill that hole, to fill that void. But what we forget is that he is a man with clay feet. He is not God. Only God can put a bomb, a salve over those broken pieces in your heart. No human can, no best friend can, no, no pastor can, no church can. So this is why people hop around from church to church to church, to marriage to marriage to marriage, relationship to relationship. Why? They are looking for external things to solve the internal problem of the heart. And only God can do that. So we turn to wrong things. Very good. Thank you. Um, the general principle passed on by Paul was to treat different people as one would treat the members of our own family. Now, the flaw for that today is, of course, we live in a fallen world. So many of us may not treat our parents respectfully. Many of us may not treat our bosses respectfully. Many of us may not respect anyone. So this may break down in the current world that we live in today because what I see is just a general lack of respect a lack of human decency, a lack of Christian character that is flowing from us that call ourselves Christians. So what do we do about that? We need to examine our lifestyle and our doctrine. What does the word say? How should we operate? How should we relate to one another? How do we treat older women? How do we treat older men? How do we treat children? He goes in and he adds something here for widows. For the sake of time, we won't read it, but he's he's saying give special attention to the widows. Basically, listen, get out, get beyond yourself and serve someone who is grieving. Get beyond yourself. Now, the problem here is that many of us have our schedules are so full from the time our eyes open to the time that they close. The schedule is so full that if a widow were to call me, where do I put her? Because I have planned out my life and I am in control of my life and you don't fit in my schedule. That's not what Paul is encouraging him. He said, listen, y'all need to look after these widows, the ones who are widows indeed. Young women, you need to go get a new man. That's what you need to do. That's what he's saying. Because listen, ain't nobody got time for all that. Y'all young. Y'all gonna be sitting around starting gossip and slander. Go, go get a husband and a house to clean. That's what you do. Right. 
But for the older ones who truly are and they don't have family, we're to step in. I just spoke at a conference, I don't know, a month ago or so, and that this subject came up. There were some older women in that congregation who stood up at the end when we did question and answer. This lady was 79. She was looking good. I was checking myself like, how old am I? Woo! The 79 was sitting on this side, and she got up and she said, I am a widow, and yes, the church is good to me, but I need someone to talk to. I want to love on the young women. She wanted the young women to stop by and hang out with her and, you know, just do nothing. Go sit and eat ice cream or something or other. Across the aisle from her was an 83-year-old woman. She's like, I'm married. I'm married, but I still need more companionship. A young lady, well, middle-aged lady in the back stood up and she said, I have five grandkids and blah, 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 blah. Basically, what she was saying was, I don't have time for y'all. She said it publicly. You know how defeated those ladies looked? So I bring that to you to say, he's saying, listen, there are various groups in this church that need your attention. Don't get so caught up in me, myself, and I that you don't spend time with some of these demographics. You don't look internally inside your church and see who's hurting. Okay, I'll go another way. Statistics, okay? They look like they want to play with me. I'll play with them. Count one to five. One, two, one, two, four, one, three, five, one, two. Behind you right here. Uh -huh, you, uh, two, two, you, mm -hmm. you, two, <laughs> you, <laughs> two, three, five, two, four. Okay, okay, we'll stop there. One out of five statistics. We're talking statistics. People go into churches and take these surveys. One out of five, every woman in the church will have an abortion. One out of three in your church has been assaulted in some shape, form, or fashion. Molested, raped, beaten, um, date raped, uh, drugged. Um, one out of ten, one out of ten will be physically harmed in this fallen world. So now how many members do you have? So about 120, even if we just split that in half, 60. Now you start doing the math. So do I have room in my schedule to look around at the ladies that's sitting next to me and find out what's going on in her life? Should I slow down my schedule a little bit and find out if there's someone that's going through something and all we see is a smile on Sunday? Should I make time but a thing called relationships. That's basically what Paul is saying to them. Don't forget about these people. I'm saying to you, look within your church. Don't just look at the smiles. Find out through relationships. And the only way you're going to find out is you spend time with them. That means you're going to have to clear your calendar a little bit. Just a little. You're going to have to clear it. What do you think? on as like the wife and a mother I have the watch that Chindi speaks yeah thanks a lot time I'm yeah yeah right me too me too yeah mm-hmm I get it we have kids we have lives we have things we have 
things to do. We have a lady that just became a widow. I mean, literally, I have, we have traveled almost every week. We're in a different state. I can't even tell you where we've been. It's an amazing ministry. God is kind to us, but it does make you slightly busy, right? I was sitting on the airplane. The airplane was about to go off. And I got a phone call. I am the women's ministry director, the church administrator, and the pastor's wife. I have to answer my phone, right? Answer the phone. Um, one of young ladies, she said her dad had, they just couldn't wake him. So he was in the hospital and didn't know what was going to happen. So I prayed with her. Literally, the 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 um, stewardess is like, I'm going to need you to get off that phone, right? And I'm like, ha, mm-hmm. <laughs> one minute, tell the captain. I said, one minute. <laughs> Landed, landed, rushed to the place I was supposed to speak. I was standing outside and she was saying that her husband, her dad was dying. And so I had to stop and I had to pray with her. And they're telling me, OK, we're ready to start the session. I'm like, <laughs> one minute. Thing is, this was sudden. Yes, I had things that I had committed to do. I have to keep my commitments, but I also have a commitment to the members of my body. I have a commitment to the ladies. You have a commitment to one another. Yes, you have other commitments, but you have a commitment one to another. And it's not always going to be convenient. Love is not convenient. You know this, right? Now, if we were looking at five and we're running out of time, but 17 to 25, we won't read. He starts to talking about elders, responsibilities, overseers. Now, I just want to say here that We need to remember there's this thing called rebuke, right? But we need to be mindful that there's a prescription on how to do that. So technically, to summarize it, we shouldn't just walk up to the pastor and start rebuking him. I mean, let that sit in. Technically, that's not how unless you're watching him do something, kick the dog or something like that. What's the prescription here that he says we should do? Do y'all know it? Well, maybe we should read it. Hold on. Let me get down to get past the widows. Here we go. 17. They're worthy of double honor. They should not be doing all this work and not getting paid for their wages. Verse 19. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except by the basis of two or three witnesses. Do not. It doesn't say, well, maybe consider. It says, do not receive an accusation. Here's how it goes in my church. I don't know about your church, but here's how it goes in my church. Somebody will come and say something about an associate minister, pastor, whomever. And they'll say, did you know? And I say, no, I didn't. And no, I don't. Because you, you're already starting with some gossip and slander. And I don't have any idea where this is going. Do not receive an accusation. Then it says, unless you have two or three witnesses, this is a high office. And let me just say this. Be very careful of how you speak about your pastors. Because God has put them there for a purpose. A man can be out of the ministry based on gossip, based on a false accusation. Paul is telling Timothy here, listen, tell these people do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Now, commentaries don't explain necessarily 
if witnesses, they saw him kick the dog. Or if witnesses are, you take three and go confirm, ask him, did you kick that dog? And he says, yes, I kicked the dog. So now I have three witnesses that confirmed. So it's not clear if your witness had to be somebody that saw them or not. Now, I'm not saying they're perfect. And that's what this says here. Rebuking an elder, they're not perfect. Their imperfections need to be dealt with, right? But when we protect our leaders from the responsibilities of their sinful acts, we corrupt the church. But when we engage in gossip and slander, you're still going to corrupt the church. Are you following me? Criticisms of leaders should be rejected unless they can be proven to be conclusively true. Not half the church believe it's true, proven to be conclusively true. This is what Paul is telling Timothy. They are to be protected from gossip and slander. We need to be watchful and mindful of how we communicate about our pastor. Give you an example. My husband teaches at the Bible college. We both taught. He's taught there almost 30 years. There was a young lady that was in his class and she would just merely raise her hand and make comments. Now, let me say it the way that she would say it. Hey, caller, yes, ma'am. Oh, so the room is full. Dr. Ellen and I talked about that the other day. Okay, she raised her hand again. Oh, I had a conversation with Dr. Ellen and he shared with me. Oh, yeah, when I talked to him yesterday, last evening, he said. So a group of older ladies pulled her to the side and said, listen, what you're saying is not wrong. It's the impression it's avoiding all appearances of evil. You're giving the impression as if you spend all this time with Dr. Ellen and he's a married man. So the older women sat her down and explained how this good thing could be looked upon as a bad thing. She didn't quite get it, but I don't have time to tell you the whole story. She didn't quite get it. But be aware of how you communicate about your pastor. Be aware you could be saying a good thing, but it could be taken wrong by others. So what's he telling them? Listen, they're to be protected from gossip and slander. If such a charge were believed, it would hinder the effectiveness and ruin their ministry. Do you know how fires get started in churches? Gossip, a slander, a rumor happens. And before you know it, the immature believers believe it at face value. It's not even true. Be aware is what Paul is saying to them. And lastly, let's close with chapter six. I think you're going to get some of this from Dr. Ellen on later today. I think basically in chapter six, the only thing I really want to leave you with is what would you be willing to do for $10 million? Somebody tell me. I'm going to take five more minutes of your time. What would you be willing to do for $10 million? Take the dog. But see, she's a pastor's wife. She, she kicked the dog, right? What would you be willing to do for $10 million? Well, they took a survey. And here's what they said. In this book, The Day America Told the Truth, James Patterson and Peter Kim reveal some shocking statistics about how far people in this country are willing to go for $10 million. Now, these people are also Christians. Abandon their entire family. Leave everybody. 25% is leaving everybody for $10 million. They'll walk away from the church for 25% will for $10 million. Become prostitutes for a week or more? No, I'm sorry. 23%. Give up their American citizenship 
for 16% said, I'll do it for 10 million. Leave their spouses. I bet that percent was a little higher. $10 million. They would hold testimony and let a murderer go free, 10%. They would kill a stranger, 7%. Do you see how depraved the world is? Put their children up for adoption, 3%. And that's probably the wayward children. They were leaving anyway. <laughs> you see, this willingness is driven by what? Needy or greediness, pride or greed. Concluding in chapter 6, Paul is talking about false teachers and their pride and their greed. And what he's saying is, False doctrine promotes material gain. A lot of times you hear people say, oh, money is the root of evil. No, it's not. The scripture says the love of money is the root of all evil. Paul says that real wealth is to be found in godliness with contentment. When you are content, this is real wealth. The hard attitudes which produce a pure and happy life are contentment. You may say, well, I'm not in any of those categories. I wouldn't do any of those things for $10 million. But what is your discontentment with what God is allowing in your life leading you to do? Is it leading you to grumble, complain, be angry with God, treat others poorly? What is your discontent in life leading you to do? Constantly wanting more leads to obsession, corruption, and ruin. You know, like Black Friday and... Red Saturday and all that other stuff. How many TVs do you really need in the house? But obsession in gaining material wealth leads to discontent. Watch your lifestyle. Temptation, he starts talking about this in verse 9. Desiring anything other than or more than or wanting to do God's will. This is a temptation and this is a trap. If we abandon our desire for riches, we can be free of the danger of making a wrong or sinful choice in hopes of obtaining these riches. Do you know how many people in Houston are trying to get this lottery one? But how much, I, you know, I figure I kind of like my money. I don't have that much of it. So, you know, the few I do have. Why do you keep thinking you're giving all this money thinking you may actually hit and you might, but you might go broke first. If we abandon this desire, God is the giver of everything we need for joy. Money in itself is never enough. It can't buy the love on earth and it's of no value in heaven. So chasing it here on earth, I'm not saying we don't need it to operate in this world, but chasing after it, denying him, selling yourself out for money, that is something to be examined as we watch our lifestyle and our doctrine. So what should we do as we put all this together? Do good with your money. Practice letting it go. I, I'm going to give you a, a teachable moment today. Dig down in your purse somewhere, find a dollar, a quarter or something and give it away. They looked at me like, what? I didn't say give away, you know, the light bill. Give it away. Practice parting with it. My Pastor husband always says, God gives us resources to spend, save, and share. Yes, I changed it. Spend, save, and share. Yeah, so we have to spend because we have bills. That's how this world works. You need to save, but you need to also share. Do good with your money. Practice letting it go. Value money by the good you choose to do with it versus the joy that it brings to your life. 
All of this is in chapter six. And he concludes with a charge to Timothy. He says, Timothy should fight the good fight as a soldier of God. Pursue holiness, persistent service, persist in the protection of the, of the gospel. So what do we conclude? We should watch our lifestyle and our doctrine. We need to flee, run, avoid any desires for anything in this world that is above godliness, faith, love. If these qualities are truly what we treasure, then we will be safe from those temptations that drag us down and even plunge us to ruin. Now, I'm going to leave you with this. We must be doing what? In order to practice this, we must be willing to receive correction. In order for me to watch my lifestyle and my doctrine, I must realize that I have blind spots. So I must be willing to allow someone else to tell me about myself. Unfortunately, we're not as accurate about ourselves as we think we are. So I must be willing to receive correction. I must find a set of people that can encourage me and speak truth to me about me. And then I must agree with God when I am in sin and go to him and confess and repent those areas of my life. Now, watch your lifestyle and your doctrine. Watch meaning be persistent. Be consistent. Don't hear it today. Think about it tomorrow and then forget it for the rest of the week. Consistent and persistent and committed to growth and change. We have to learn the truth, but we must live the truth. And you all are learning a lot of truth in the church that you're in. I would encourage you to go back and look at your notes over the last, say, eight weeks. What was the thing that you learned that now it's gone? He slaved over that sermon, Matthew 5, right? And it's gone. We must do better in terms of being committed to watching our lifestyle and our doctrine. That means helping others, being honest with ourselves, and allowing others to speak truth to ourselves. Okay? Amen? Thank you. You want to ask what?